Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And uh, today's film we're discussing is Oblivion, starring Tom Cruise and Morgan Freeman. And uh, just a heads up, we're a film podcast that discusses films after having seen them. So if you haven't seen Oblivion, uh, we're going to spoil it for you, to be honest. And you should probably not listen to this podcast, because this is a film full of twists and turns. Another film that we are going to discuss um, major plot points in is Moon, starring Sam Rockwell. Uh, there's some similar content from Moon that is in Oblivion, so just a heads up, uh, if you did want to see either of those films, probably watch them before listening to the rest of this podcast. Lloyd, uh, was the cinema pretty full where you saw Oblivion, or... No, not really. No, no. People were oblivious to it? <laughs> did it... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think... Look, uh, um, there were two people in mine, and I was one of them. Okay. <laughs> and the other person was not someone I went with, so... Oh, okay, you know, really? <laughs> had I brought someone, <laughs> it would have been a huge jump in box office. Lloyd, what did you think of Oblivion? I actually didn't mind this movie too much. I just thought it was way too long and a lot, a very predictable. Um, but yeah, getting... It was back- long. <laughs> I, I'm going to agree with you, first of all. It felt like it was... 40 minutes too long like it was just there was so much stuff in there that just didn't need to be there (laughs) one of the biggest things for me that i thought could have been changed they're kind of dumbing things down for the audience right yeah so at the beginning he does this huge voiceover where he says five years ago you know this alien thing happened uh, there was a mandatory memory wipe, you know, the moon, there's no moon, we won the war, but we lost the planet, all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. He says all that stuff about hydro rigs and everything. They didn't need to say any of that. They could have just shown us the world he's living in, because then when his wife comes down, he explains it all again. I completely to agree. Her. I completely and utterly agree. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, this is very painful to watch him do these exposition twice yeah (laughs) yeah so i mean i get it he's doing drone maintenance he the the best thing i think about this film was um the way they recreated you know the empire state building and uh that stadium and the landmarks and obviously they're half underground which is you know, or mostly underground, which is a bit of an achievement. That's what I like. Yeah, the worlds are so complete. I guess because they got massive budgets, but it looks so good. Like, it just... The world felt so complete. There was there was shots in this that made me think a little bit of 2001 A Space Odyssey. You know, just like these nice picturesque sci-fi, like, uh, landscapes, mm-hmm. you know. Um it's earth but not as you know it kind of thing i think that was the biggest achievement was creating this environment it's awesome first of all yeah yeah the problem was the way it was just a jumble of various sci-fi films and at the beginning of this podcast (laughs) i mentioned the moon uh the film moon by with sam rockwell and the reason is is because this lifts a fairly major plot twist from moon i feel I mean, I know it's not completely original in Moon. Like, it's not the first time this has ever been done. But uh, you've seen Moon, Lloyd, just to clarify? Yeah. yeah. Yep, I have seen Moon. So, like, um, in Moon, for those of you who don't mind being spoiled, and again, spoilers (laughs) coming up because it's a big part of Moon, uh, Sam Rockwell's working on the Moon, and he's nearly done. 
and then he finds out that um, oh, he's in an accident and um, finds out that he's a clone, basically, and there are lots of versions of him. They're all frozen up on the moon in a secret room, and whenever he dies, they activate a new one, basically, and, you know, he'll be forever up there working, and presumably there's a version of him that is on Earth living his life. Yep. And this is like a sad portrait of, um, you know, what's left of this clone soul, I guess, this kind of, you know, really interesting film. Yeah. The, and what we, what we get Blade from Runner Oblivion... Argument, yeah. yeah, what we get from Oblivion is um, he's working on these drones in just this sector and he can't go outside of this sector. And, of course, there are lots of sectors... And there's a different version of Tom Cruise presumably working on drone maintenance in all of them. And they're all a product mm -hmm. of this alien technology, I guess, cloning him or however they've done it. And that's like yeah. a major twist in this film, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Did you see it coming? Yeah. Yeah, me yes, too. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Like, it, I was just waiting for it to happen as well because... Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of reasons, but um, the fact that he's got a number um, on him, yes. that was a clue right there. Um, the fact that his wife, played by Olga Kurenenkarov or something, I don't know if I can pronounce her name, um, she has been asleep for 60 years, right? Mm -hmm. When he's repeating all the voiceover stuff to her and she's just waking up and everything. She's been asleep for 60 years. And I mean, this is the biggest clue is that he knows her from all of his dreams and visions. Right. Yeah. But he hasn't aged 60 years. Yeah. You know, it's like there's there's the obvious clue to me. <laughs> yeah. If they didn't show any of that dream stuff or perhaps they didn't show it clearly, like in 12 Monkeys, you know, uh, in 12 yep. Monkeys, you're not really sure what you're seeing every time That's uh, he one dreams. Of I'm glad you referenced that. That's one of the best uses of flashbacks I've ever seen. Yeah, and it's like you don't know quite what you're seeing. You're seeing a little bit of it, a little bit of it, a little bit of it each Neither time. does the main character. That's the thing. Yeah, and I mean, whereas... And I like the use of flashbacks because we all have it in our life. Like we all... Like uh, my script writing teacher when I studied at uni was always heavily against flashbacks, but I'm sorry. That's what happens in real life. You're driving down the road and you think back to a moment in your past. Like that just... Yeah. Ha it's just part of life. And I think the really good directors like Ennio Morricone, Mar oh, Sergio Leone is one of the best where they can flash backwards like se seamlessly, but it's from the point of view of the character. It's not telling the audience and it's exactly what you said with 12 monkeys you don't know what you're seeing and neither does the main character really but it does emotionally connect perhaps the the reason your script writing teacher said that was because it's like a sloppy way of exposition exactly is yes that, is that correct yes that's well, correct that's absolutely correct that's what she said <laughs> so in, in adaptation the film with uh, nicholas cage <laughs> i was about to reference that <laughs> yeah i mean he's his way of exposition um is through like other he's it mentions a uh, voiceover you know and god help you if you have your characters do voiceover you know in the robert mckee <laughs> um seminar he goes to so this film has both flashbacks and voiceover which is you know where it starts to fall apart there's too much going on in this movie it's trying to be too much of a grand yeah. massive thing it's like um uh, I if feel you just took out a... yeah 
I was going to say, if you took out one of those elements, say the voiceover, and you just had those flashbacks, but they weren't so obvious, like you see a Mm -hmm. woman with dark hair or something, but you don't see her face, you know, then this probably would have been a much better film if it would... Yeah, it could, and it could have been a lot tighter. Yeah, exactly what you said. It could have been much more condensed. And it would have been... Like, I don't want to say the film is bad, because I actually think it's pretty good. But there are a lot of annoyances. Like, uh, it's really dumbed down, as you said. Um, it, it, it's a complex story, but told so gently to the audience. Like, they just try to give them as much information as possible. Like, by the way, we're in the future. Here's Tom Cruise. He's yeah. having flashbacks. Yeah. This is what's happened, you know. <laughs> yeah, it dumbed think, it down I too much. I think audiences are smarter. Yeah, audiences are yes, smarter than exactly. that. Exactly. And um, look, I want to take a moment and talk about uh, the cool technology because, again, the world was the best part of this film, the, the world they created. That oh, treadmill cool. circle yeah. was pretty cool. Very yeah. Kubrick-esque. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and they had that like motorbike that kind of just uncompacted yeah you know and it didn't um, seem like, too futuristic as well it's like oh that's pretty practical i guess it's the right <laughs> amount yeah i can i can yeah. see motorbikes being able to fold down into a suitcase you know mm-hmm. anyway um but like when he um when i first heard of this film i thought uh, it was going to be like wally you know the animated film he's mm-hmm. collecting things on an earth that you know has been destroyed and stuff yeah maybe he's just there on kind of a scouting mission or whatever and i didn't know much about the drones or anything like that so i went in with pretty low uh you know expectations not really thinking i didn't i didn't research it i didn't look into it too much i just went in and checked it out you know and look i think i think tom cruise did a good job i think um yeah there's just too much going on like i said i I feel like i think we defended him heavily in the rock of ages i think uh our listeners are fully aware of our feelings towards tom cruise we're not one of those people that are against him at all we actually we think he's a very good actor it's just unfortunate he's just got a lot of stigma associated with him and i I know a lot of people won't see a movie because tom cruise is in it they actually you know grunt when they see his name tom cruise you know and i'm like what he's a very good actor go see magnolia go see uh, born on the 4th of July there's nothing wrong with his acting and I think he did a great job in this film I really enjoyed I, I thought he was like the best person to have as that as the main character to bring us through this story yeah and um, I think sometimes he does vanity projects and this could have been one of them <laughs> yeah um, why because there's multiple in- Tom Cruises <laughs> yeah that might be it um yeah, the um, when he's flying around in that ship, that bobblehead of Elvis, I have almost mm-hmm. the exact same bobblehead of Elvis. <laughs> almost identical. Um, I liked the whole brainwashing thing where it was like, are you still an effective team, you know, and yeah, Melissa cool. Leo, I believe, on the monitors. She, she, and she, she was great. Yeah. She was very robotic, though, which made me think she was just a recording you know like yeah uh, it reminded yeah. me of Hal. reminded me of um 2001 yep. a space odyssey great point. and i think that was a nice touch but it did make me wonder if the redhead was being brainwashed every time she said that mm-hmm. like if that was a trigger word yes yeah and and had you, had you seen that redhead in anything before 
No, I haven't. No, I thought she did a great job. I think she's a pretty talented actress. Andrea Riseborough, bro, sure, Riseborough. Yeah, I'm just having a look. Uh, born in 1981, and the only thing I I've seen her in um, is Never Let Me Go, which is a great little film from 2010. Good book as well. But um, she looks like she's been working, you know, since 2005. And there's a lot of variety of roles, but she's very unfamiliar. Like, I feel like she could be, um, you know, like a big actress. Like, I got a big rising star from her. Yeah. J- just you from know, watching like, her in this movie. Like, you got that Yeah, sense. I think, yeah, cool. I think sh- she really kind of stole a lot of scenes dramatically. She had a lot to do. She was um, mm-hmm. obviously betrayed in the film and obviously... Um, she had you feelings, know, when- which is what I liked for Tom Cruise. Yes like um, a yeah. character and like although she's a clone she had that like conflict like i've got feelings for why do i feel really upset about this other girl like you know after you know the ending like uh she's in the ship she's a really good pilot um and uh, to her credit she stays aground with tom cruise she doesn't um take the option to eject out she goes no no we we came in this we're gonna uh, see this through together um, yeah. You know, and there was obviously some feeling like, and the only information you got was when she took that self shot of both of them, and Tom Cruise yeah. was looking away. Yeah, that was really cool. But you could sense that there was some feelings towards him. There, well, at least I got. And the clone has replicated those feelings. Like when the wife comes back, there's Sonic ill. She's feeling inside, and she's not sure what. Well, that's what I was getting from the film. But that was really good. I just pity they couldn't do that more. <laughs> And, of course, there was the sexy swimming pool scene. Yeah. <laughs> I well, pity they couldn't do act- more of that. <laughs> I was about to say, when you get an actress that good-looking, you might as well show them off. Like, you're paying a fortune for them. It's just like, all right, this will make one for the trailer. <laughs> and then there's that shot where she undresses and she's a silhouette and then she dives into the pool and the camera mm. dips down and you see that the pool is basically like, you know, a, a dip in... Yeah, it's kind of just hanging there, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's, it's it. like Sonic you see in Dubai. <laughs> yeah. And uh, look, when um, there was a few bits of dialogue and stuff in this film that bugged me. One of them was um, when Tom Cruise and... Oh, let me check what her character's name is. She's Victoria. <laughs> Victoria. So when Jack and Victoria are... Um, talking and stuff at the beginning of this film there's a real like oh two weeks from retirement rigs yeah you know? <laughs> like yeah. lethal weapony vibe you know that was like moon we as well like moon it was always the heavy thing like we're looking forward to get out like you know like yeah yep. yeah and that's obviously part of the brainwashing and stuff is it's that part of the tragedy of the clones because they're always stuck in this self-belief that keeps them going and obviously they terminate them and start new ones or something you know, it's a tragic thing for them. It is. And I feel like we're getting a lot of clone movies these days and we're obviously coming closer to human cloning. And Yeah, it's right around the corner. That's exactly right. And how are we going to, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, issues that has to be addressed, uh, uh, you know, when, the, when this comes, like ethical I- issues that haven't even been set. Like there's no one in our whole entire history there's no books written about this you know we got no textbooks to go on you know this is like a first walk into these areas and films to its credit is doing that really playing out what ifs you know exactly and 
Have you seen uh, Olga Kurenekarov or whatever her name is in anything else? I think she was in Hitman. I think she's a very beautiful actress, extremely beautiful. I think she's played a Bond girl as well. Yeah, um, that's what I know her from is one of the Bonds. Which Bond film was it? Um, it's one of the Daniel Craig's. It's not. It's definitely not Casino Royale. I think it's the, the one after that one. Quantum of Solace. S- yeah, I haven't seen Quantum of Solace, but um, yeah, I think she's a very beautiful girl, and um, yeah, you know, I think she was cast right in this film, I guess. <laughs> Max Payne's she was in Hitman and Max Payne. Hmm. Max Payne, that's the one. So she's got that video game. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, I thought the <laughs> visions with her were repetitive. It was like, yes, too much. Yeah, too much. Uh, just, it just really took me out of it. And it, stuff like that made, uh, really made me um, look at my watch during, you know, the middle of this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it could have got to, it could have got to the scavs sooner, which was yeah. like the mole people that, yeah. you know, were the humans that Morgan Freeman was. Um, I was going to say, I am legend. I was going to say the, the zombies and I am legend. Like we finally get to them. It's like, oh, <laughs> Mm. Um, look I, I did get to the twist pretty quickly <laughs> that um, Morgan Freeman and that were the people and that he was working for the aliens because you get that um, you get that stuff in the exposition where they say we got attacked by aliens right but we had time to build this giant yes. triangular space station that all the humans live on and I'm just down here fixing stuff up on Earth. You know? It's very, very bizarre that we were able to, as a human race, just knock up this spaceship that we're all able to live on during an alien invasion, yeah. you know? It's got a lot of holes, you know? And so you, you start mm-hmm. to question the reality that yeah. Jack is living in straight away. And, yeah. and it's sort of a cold, sterile environment besides that photo of him and uh, Victoria that we don't know the context of. It's a very kind of sterile, futuristic, I guess, environment, isn't it? And, and that's sort of... It feels alien, I guess, is what I'm getting at. All right, so, I mean, there's this incredibly convenient space station like flying above the Earth that we were able to build, as I said, during... Um, during an alien invasion, building a ship doesn't seem very likely, especially one that houses everyone in the human race. But anyway, um, we meet Morgan Freeman about an hour into this film, and he tells us that drones kill humans. Right? Yep. Which we've seen the drone get ready to attack Tom Cruise's character, and obviously he identifies himself, and it doesn't kill him. So we kind of already know that. Yes. Like, it's about to attack him. It's attacking humans, you know. But this is supposed to be a big revelation in the film, too. Yeah. You know, but it's not really. So none of these twists had the weight that they should have. Exactly. And it would have been more forgiving had not so much attention been spent to make it. Like, so, like, if they hadn't made that... Like, it just seems like a big push for the movie to make the, the, um, the switch a big thing, as you say um you know it just worked against it because so much effort of the movie was spent trying to make the the twist you know really uh, a big impact on the viewer but it just wasn't (laughs) and i think if the twists 
were executed better, this would have been a really good film. Because all the elements are there. It's mm. just there's too much exposition. There's too much. Yes. Yeah. You know, build, slow build towards these twists and stuff. And look, Morgan Freeman announces his plan, you know, to he wants to fly 10 fuel cells up to the TET spaceship and blow it up. So once you introduce a bomb in a in a film, mm-hmm. it's poor form not to have the bomb yes. explode. And that's the same in TV and that's like a general screenwriting rule. So once Morgan Freeman mm. introduces the bomb potential, you know the ending of the film. Yep. As well, you know he's going to do yes. that, and you're just waiting for him to fly up those fuel cells and blow things up. It's funny too how there's like I gotta a, say it. It, it. It's so much of Independence Day, isn't it? At the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if Morgan Freeman wasn't hiding in the um, the little capsule, if he was sitting next the, to him smoking the a cigar, thing it, capsule, yeah. Yeah, if he was sitting next to him smoking a cigar, it would be Independence Day, wouldn't it? <laughs> and I thought that was weird how the computer couldn't um, register if it was a male or female in the back. Yes. Like, it just it just seemed to have so much... It bespoke so much technological advancement, like it could read or, or scan the, the life forms on board that vessel. And it's just weird mm-hmm. it took it for granted, Tom Cruise saying, oh, yeah, it's uh, female, you know. It's yeah, it's her. Yeah, well. totally. <laughs> <laughs> he should and, have whipped um, out a Mac Power book and just started uploading a virus. <laughs> yeah, that that boss lady, Melissa Leo thing, I mean, they talked to, it really felt like a recording, but I did like that it reminded me of Hal from 2001 A Space Odyssey. You know, that was at least one positive. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like how the film became a love triangle. I like that the wife created that element, but I don't feel like we cared whether or not sure. Julia, the wife, got together with Jack. You know? Because once we found out he was a clone and um, and stuff, I think, you know, it didn't really matter if they got together because in a way her husband was already gone. Mm-hmm. So it just emotionally didn't really land, I think. And that kind of ruins the last shot of the movie where it's like she finds him again kind of thing in mm. his little hideaway. Yeah, it's weird. I, I didn't care for that point. I was like, oh, okay, she's going to love a clone again. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a bit like who cares because there's versions of him all over the earth, you know? Yeah. And if one dies, she'll find another one. And in a way, you can imagine like 500 Tom Cruises all living together. In the same sort of radius, I guess. Yeah, they all it sort of found each other. It seems to address immortality that that aspect as well. Like, um, if we could just live in clones, like although ourselves die, um, if we got a fresher version of ourselves, a clone, and that's still us, you know, and that is still us and can be loved and can be counted for us, you know, it just seems to be speak of immortality. And, um, yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting point, but at the same time, I just didn't care at that stage. And I think it was due to the length. <laughs> as well, I think, emotionally, they didn't really connect yes, as well as yeah, they yeah. could have. Yeah. It reminds me of um, Joss Whedon's TV series Dollhouse, which I think was underrated. Yep. There's um, an episode in that where you discover... Uh, well, the, the concept of Dollhouse, for those who are not aware, is that... Um, your mind can be copied onto a like a disc, I guess, mm-hmm. and then can be downloaded into the brain of anybody who is uh, a doll. So 
these dolls are like wiped the all the memories and stuff are taken from them and um, they get imprinted with personalities and things like that and there is this immortality plot line i think in the second season because you discover there's a man who has been downloaded into lots of people yeah. all at once and um he's immortal because anytime one of them die he's downloaded into another person and so he he takes on many forms because he's got multiple bodies with the same personality imprinted and stuff and so as long as there's always one of him to imprint another one of him and then you know it's well, ongoing and so much talk he, that and it's right around the corner that our consciousness can be down um can eventually be put into a computer and yes. we're just like in a thumbstick pretty much like that's yes. us isn't that freaky i just don't my monkey brain can't figure that out but i think uh, like i wouldn't be surprised like right now we can send videos across the world wirelessly i just think that is absolutely insane like how can you watch that like a video that you could make right now sound it to me and i can watch it on my uh, a device that i'm holding in my hand so you know mm. if we could do that i wouldn't be too surprised if that could happen <laughs> Yeah, and I think we're going to see more of this kind of stuff in sci-fi movies. I think it's important hey, um, that we do address it, yeah, in sci-fi films, because at least it can explore these ethical boundaries or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, indeed. And I think they will. I think we're going to see more clone movies in the future. Mm, yes. um, did you did you think when he's doing that ship racing around... That it was just like pod racing in Star Wars. <laughs> I was thinking of I was thinking of Star Wars actually. Uh, the, the, actually, not the pod racing scene, but the scene where um, Obi Wan is getting chased down by the bounty hunter, and the sons yelling, "Get him, Dad! Get him!" Fire! You know that just killed Star <laughs> Wars. But I was thinking of that whole scene. It's funny you should mention that. <laughs> Yeah, I thought of Anakin doing his little pod racing the first time you see it and how he's sort of weaving <laughs> in and out between. Um, yeah, I thought of that. And um, that annoyed me that that was my frame of reference for what I was seeing for Oblivion. Um, the the cut on his nose that he gets. Yeah, this from, film, um, um, we talked the, about how many... Sorry. The end of a gun getting hit into his face becomes important it looks annoying and you think oh, is tom cruise gonna have a cut on his nose for the rest of this movie but it's important because then a couple of scenes later you're seeing double tom and one of them has a cut and one of them doesn't and it's yes. the most obvious way yeah the audience can identify because if you didn't notice the tom number 49 and the tom number 52 on their jacket then you know this was the way you would know was that oh wait he has that cut on his nose you mm. know so thankfully that wasn't just an annoying thing that it was going to annoy me the whole movie and that was part of the plot mm. good that they had that um that sequence where his wife is shot as well and she's um they're dying and i mean honestly i think she would have died from her wounds but he has time to go and fly to the station where this new victoria is and have a chat to her and get back to his wife yeah and i think that perfectly showed us how each version of them is going through the same thing each version of them like you know there's obviously at least 52 because yeah. of the numbers um mm -hmm. i really enjoyed seeing that kind of other side of it especially um and it's haunting because she's obviously just been killed 
as well and there's just another version of her and another version of her and it's as if nothing has changed you know yeah and i like it how well tom cruise played um played it at that moment like you really felt the emotions like what how how is he processing this information like she in the previous scene where he saw her she burnt like she was shot to pieces and then he's seeing her again and he has no idea how he's processing this information you know it's just like wow what is happening here he just plays it as best as he could and gets the hell out of there you know to his wife i thought that was really cool and in a lot of ways he has a stronger relationship with victoria yeah absolutely than his wife and i think that's where the real emotion of the film is because you care more when the redhead dies than when his wife is shot Mm. you know what i mean like seeing her again is a bigger emotional cue for his character than his wife is like dying Mm. at that point yeah but he's so detached from her you know he can't remember her yep you know so i guess it's not as successful for the ending when he winds up with obviously his wife Mm. yeah uh, um, I love the casting of Morgan Freeman, like how he's the guy that, you know, not only he's the head of the human resistance, but he's the guy that has to explain the whole plot outline. Like, uh, I think South Park did a whole episode on this where, um, you know, it's a very complicated plot and Morgan Freeman comes out of nowhere and he explains to them what's happening, the plot. He goes, oh, hi, Morgan. Why, why do you always come out of nowhere and explain the plot for everything? Because every time I do, I get a pimp... Uh, uh, um, a freckle and a freckle appears on his cheek <laughs> I think I've seen that yeah. yeah I thought that was fantastic but he's Morgan Freeman I love him he's a great actor and I love um, his voice and when he explains things it just brings so much clarity hmm <laughs> and um, to be honest they preempt uh, the fact that he's there at the end in the capsule yeah. with him saying it'd be a hell of a thing to see you know um <laughs> And look on their face up there when you know this thing explodes and stuff and and lucky he got wounded in that battle and was able to go up there hey <laughs> oh you must have loved the casting of the lost guy and then zoe bell is it zoe um the girl who's in um death proof yeah who was the lost guy that you were saying uh wasn't he the uh, sawyer no i don't think he was i'm pretty sure he was mate pretty sure that was sawyer (laughs) i could be wrong i I don't know much about (laughs) i don't know much about um uh lost well yeah nick i oh yeah he's the guy from lost i'm looking it up right now no i don't think he is nicolaj costa waldo he looks like the guy from lost (laughs) he looks like the guy from lost but apparently he's uh jamie lannister in game of thrones oh that's where i've seen him (laughs) that might be where you've seen him you're not a great looking guy you're just an average looking guy with a chin (laughs) you remember that line from community yes i have seen that yeah (laughs) um i thought just to be different i'm gonna throw in uh, we don't need the opener or anything but i'm just gonna throw in the recommendation now okay for um the film i'd like to recommend it kind of offsprings from the idea of this whole amnesia and not knowing yourself and the film is cypher with lucy Liu. i've seen that yeah yeah and i think in that film you get this whole like beautiful unfolding of what who this person is and and how they um have come to not know who they are and and their world not being what they think it is and i saw strains of that in this film yeah. as well 
Yep. You can see the, the line of comparison I'm drawing. Exactly. It's like you said at the beginning of this podcast, it's really a combination of a string of movies. I think you said I Am Legend, particularly Moon, and uh, yeah, exactly, Cypher. I know exactly what you mean, where the guy's trying to get his memory back or, or his identity back of who he is, and is his wife really his wife, you know, that sort of thing, yeah. Essentially, there's there's a, some haunting sequences in Cypher and just some moments where the, the world shifts completely mm-hmm. and nothing is as it seems and like i think it's executed much better the way that in cypher his whole world falls apart and he realizes what is really going on Mm. and i'll just say he's not a clone just so you know (laughs) it's it's not as if it's that's the, the this film it's um it's it's handled much better it's a smaller feeling yes. movie with two central characters i also want to mention another little film silent running which is kind of similar to this uh, 70s film which is why i didn't like moon so much like the good thing about moon it got back the old 70s sci-fi films like and it, it was just great to see that in this modern age but i i just didn't like moon because i'd seen silent running and a string of those other movies and it I, to me moon didn't bring up anything new um, for me, it was really told in films like Silent Running. Um, but I, uh, okay. I think Moon's a very intelligent movie and uh, pretty solidly done. Just to go back to Oblivion for uh, for a moment. <laughs> um, right towards the end, at the inevitable death of Tom Cruise, number 49, and Morgan Freeman up at the end, um, we see this lame line which Tom Cruise delivers that I didn't like at all, where he says to the girl right before he puts her under and presumably puts her into the capsule, which we find out he doesn't. But right before that, do you remember what he says? What's that? He says, dream of us. (laughs) Which just was nothing. Yeah. You know, it was not attached to anything that had happened before. Uh, Oh, well, it was attached to that little bit where he sort of sees her in the spaceship at the end and he says dream of us but it's not a good line like Mm. i feel like there should have been a rewrite on that i I personally hate um i hate those lines like i I just think they're just um too i don't want to say pretentious but they just try so hard to be something that they're not (laughs) Uh, I, i always um say just go back to what a character would say in those situations don't try to be so poetic about it um like i hate lines like you should um like i think i hate to say it, but batman was just full of them like the dark knight and all of that where it's just like you've been looking everywhere when you should just look into yourself you know those sort of lines i really can't stand those lines because people don't talk like that you know it just mm. I, i've never had a conversation like and somebody said something like that it's just ridiculous yeah and there's like a line if i was gonna say uh something like um if you could do anything um in this world what would you do if nothing was unachievable and you know like like expanding things beyond what people would say Mm. it's like you said um more eloquently than i that uh (laughs) you know it's unnatural yeah yeah exactly yeah if you could do anything why would you give up everything you know just (laughs) i don't know it's a mess some of the lines in the script just bounce right off you yeah don't you don't take any part of it um i didn't mind the flashbacks to the original flight mission and the black box recording yep 
I felt like that was a good touch because it was the only real effort for us to get to know these characters. But as well, you get to know nothing about the wife in that because she's frozen. She's in hypersleep or whatever. So it sort of almost feels like she was secondary, you know, like they wrote her in and made it his wife, Yeah, you know, unnecessary to the plot, just convoluted. It made it made it too many elements in there. It wasn't <laughs> the film it could have been. Yeah. But um, we get a look at all of the Tom Cruise clones being grown up on the ship and all the Victoria clones. It echoes Matrix, ship. doesn't it? That whole scene. I, I was it just, does. Yeah. And they look like batteries, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> Um, talking of horrible lines, I'm just looking at my notes. One of the worst lines wasn't even that dream of us, but the final line that he says when he explodes the bomb, he says, fuck you, Sally. Yeah. Where'd that come from? What was that? Yeah, it, like the problem when you join, put in the, the F word, you know, you start doing that, you bring it to a different level and, you know, people say, well, you know, that, that that's fine, you know, and every, like I was actually doing a film and the actor wanted to swear and I didn't have that on the script and I said, no, I don't want you to go, oh, what's wrong with that? You've had people, you know, uh, uh, shooting each other, stabbing each other, you know, what's wrong with me swearing? And I go, well, it brings it to a different level. Like it just makes it dirtier. Like you had, you introduced one level of film and then all of a sudden at the end you have the F word, the F bomb being dropped. I don't have a problem with the F word being used in movies, but if you use it all of a suddenly, it just hits you in the face and it just gives a bad taste in your mouth. You know what I mean? It's funny. The um, One of the only films I've made, uh, I made a feature film called The Last Resort. You can watch the whole thing on my YouTube mm-hmm. page. And um, I didn't put any swearing in there. There's no F word. There's nothing like that. Because it, even though there are life-threatening situations and stuff in there, at no point did I want to do that. Like, it didn't feel like that would help. Yeah. And it didn't feel like good dialogue. Yeah. You know? Because filling a film with F-words, um, you know, when it's a shoot 'em up action film and somebody gets shot and they swear, or, you know, when they're like, F you, yeah, when yeah. something big happens, you know, like that just is an exclamation point in an action sequence. Sure. But here it didn't feel like it was necessary. Yeah. Like they and can argue the character would say in that situation, I understand that, but it was just a. Well, who's Sally then? What's that about? <laughs> I think that was a song in reference to the song. Mm. I don't know the song. I'm pretty sure there's a song about Sally. <laughs> well, I know Mustang Sally. Maybe this is something I missed in the yeah. film. <laughs> All right, that's fine. Let's uh, we'll move on from that. Yeah, but the so point she has is, a baby. It did make a like having him swear did make an impact we both had the same reaction so i'm glad we brought that up Mm. it's just started raining where i am oh (laughs) um if you can hear that in the background i don't know (laughs) so she has a baby the wife she got pregnant from you know number 49 and then number 52 tom cruise who's been enlightened by bumping into one of himself goes searching for her and finds her at the cabin because of course he had a cabin of his own sort of or a place of his own where he uh was storing his own stuff he would find and you know there's a kind of i guess there's a kind of symmetry there and that they were thinking the same thing but he's gonna raise a baby 
that his clone put in his wife, but he's also a clone. You know, it's sort of a weird yeah I, I situation. Get, again, we're hitting into realms that we just don't uh, we just don't have any understanding of, and no context, uh, no context. And I felt so distant to anything that character was feeling at that point. Um, but at the same time, if I was from the director's point of view, how else could you do it? Like, that's what would happen, you know, in that situation. But as human beings, do we feel for that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this... It's such a strange thing. Of, this is weird, man. <laughs> it was full of big ideas. I mean, I get it. I see what they're trying to go for. It's like a very grand film. But... Um, the execution uh, yeah. is where it falls down for me. My, my only issue with it was um, the length of it. And um, you brought up some really good points with too much exposition. I completely agree. Um, the director had done Tron Legacy just before this. And that was a big hit. I had heaps of issues with that film, but it was a very, very good looking movie. And um, and obviously Oblivion just fell right into that. Just had a very slick style of looking, a uh, very good looking science fiction film. But I think he tackled really heavy themes that he just wasn't ready for, maybe, or just wasn't accustomed to dealing with. Like it's something like you see mm-hmm. in Star Trek that would would have done it a lot better. <laughs> Not the J.J. Abrams film, but <laughs> I'm just talking about the TV show. But um, yeah, like uh, I completely agree with what you said. It, it was a big grand film, and it tackled too many subjects that it just you know (laughs) yeah but anyway otherwise i mean 7.2 on imdb seems about right yeah no well i yeah that's that's right i can't complain about that i'd probably just recommend a blu-ray renting it rather than um just going to the cinemas to see it like it is a very good looking movie and all the props and the whole art department did a phenomenal job in this film yeah, but just too long at the cinema for me to spend. Like, I, I love watching it at home where I can pause it, you know, get something to drink, go to the bathroom or whatever. Yeah. Well, um, that'll be it for this podcast of Oblivion. We'll just do a couple of plugs. Yep. Next episode, we're going to do uh, The Hangover 3, Back to Las Vegas, aren't we? I've just added that. It's not in the title. It's not <laughs> The Hangover 3, Back to Las Vegas, although <laughs> I guess you could see how that would work. <laughs> Um, and as always, you can find other Pod Me If You Can episodes on our website, which is www.podmeifyoucan. There's uh, links on the left-hand side there. You can find my YouTube where you can watch my film. You can find Lloyd's YouTube. We now have a Pod Me If You Can YouTube where there's going to be some exclusive content soon, maybe even by the time this podcast is up. And um, yeah, as always, thank you for listening. Yep. Thanks, guys. All the best. All the best.